Good morning, everybody. So, <clears throat> so last week, Martha and my wife Martha and I, we went to Texas. And um, at the rental car counter, the I asked the woman working there. I said, "Do you have any recommendations of places to go to eat?" And she said, "Don't worry." Everything in Texas is good, she said. (laughs) Turned out that was actually true. But um, one thing that was really good in Texas were the allergens. And so I have come down with a real case of allergies. So you're going to have to bear with my voice today. If it just disappears, just sing louder and that'll be fine. But, But as you're about to see in just a second, we have a whole bunch of other singers this morning that I'm very excited about. And so it's not going to matter anyway. So um, let me start off by reading from Psalm 18. The two songs that we're going to start off with, one comes from Psalm 18 and one comes from Psalm 8. Psalm 18 says this, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I shall be saved from my enemies. And then in Psalm 8, It says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thou whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouth of babes and infants. Thou hast founded a bulwark because of thy foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast established, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him little less than God, and dost crown him with glory and honor. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Psalm 8. So both of these psalms have been made into a couple of songs, which we're going to sing for you now. And you're going to sing with us. Ready? Please stand. Well, I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemy. Hold on just a second. Hold on. Hold on just a second. Sounding great. But all of you people out there, we're going to have to try. Did you see what they did? Did you see the little hand motion thing that they did? Did you see that they sang, say, hey, Okay. I know this is a little goofy, but let's try this. Say, we're talking about the hand motions here. Say. Okay, we'll get it. Here we go. <laughs> starting, starting from the whole beginning again. <laughs> Here we go.
and have a seat.
to our singers this morning. All right. Thank you, Camp Clay and team. <laughs> that was fun. Um, my name is Randy Fishback, uh, Director of Compassion, Justice, and Missions Ministries here. I want to welcome you all to Hillside this morning. Woohoo! There we go. Um, hey, a couple of church life uh, things we wanted to make you aware of. Right after this service, we're having an all-church barbecue. You didn't need to sign up. You don't need to sign up if you haven't already. Just join us in the back. You probably saw the, ta the tables as you came in, and we hope that you will just stay around and fellowship a little bit, get to know a few people a little better, and hopefully the rain will um, stay, stay off until we're done, and we can just enjoy some time together. So everybody just retreat to the back when you're done here and stick around. And then next week for the guys, it's the Giants watch party. Yeah. Woohoo. Go Giants. Woohoo. Wow. Okay. Just, boy, a tough crowd this morning. Um, so um, the guys, the men's ministry is, is having a barbecue also at 1 o'clock next week. You can come a little bit early barbecue. The game starts right around 1. And we ask you to wear your favorite gear, Giants gear, whatever, and just enjoy the Giants-Dodgers rivalry. Um, Dodgers fans are grudgingly invited also. Um, Rob Robinson, wherever you are, just try to just try to be uh, as kind as possible to some of these guys. Um, but we'd love to have you come, and it, you need to bring your own meat. And if the meat that you have requires a bun, normally maybe bring that along too. But we'll have condiments, we'll have drinks, we'll have chips, um, and all those kind of things for the side. Just bring your own kind of main entree to grill on your own. So next week, guys, um, right after church, church is feeding you two weeks in a row. What a deal. All right, with that, um, I would ask everybody to stand up and greet a neighbor. Hey, I want to call your attention to this painting to my left, your right. That was done by Rachel Murphy, our very own Rachel Murphy. And didn't she do a spectacular job? Now, I haven't seen her here this morning. Are you here, Rachel? Okay, well, if you know Rachel or her parents or whatever, just... Uh, Say hi to them and, and thank them for that lovely thing. She just gifted that to Hillside during our, our Holy Spirit series, so I think that's wonderful. And then this morning, we have the privilege of having Dr. David Nystrom with us again. 
I, I, I think he's getting to the point where he needs no introduction because he said he feels like the family member that can raid the fridge or whatever. And so uh, we probably don't need to introduce him. Although I, I've told David on the side, I'm not calling him doctor. If he can't set my arm, you know, he's not Dr. Nystrom. I'm sorry. sorry. So, um, so uh, but anyway, we're, we're just so glad to have you, uh, David, Dr. Nystrom. <laughs> and, uh, and so we look forward to hearing from you uh, shortly here. And with that, we're going to take this morning's offering. Um, you could, we're going to pass the plates. You can leave things in the basket. You can mail it in. You can leave a check in the office online, text eight. 4321. I mean, there are lots of options. Um, we're just glad for those who give their gifts. If you're a guest among us, this is not for you. This is, this is for people who call Hillside home and want to support the ministries of this church. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for um, the opportunity to worship you again and to glorify your name and to honor you. And we just pray that you would take these gifts that we give back to you and you would uh, multiply your kingdom and multiply your outreach here in the neighborhood and around the world. God, do what you would with these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Some 
how I stepped up here. I'm totally happy I can still do that. Yeah, the day, the day is coming when that's not going to be possible anymore. Um, it's always a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you for always extending to me um, family. So I certainly feel that uh, <clears throat> relative to Hillside. So and I'm glad that I think you feel that way about me. So that's, that's good. Yeah. I'm just done That's okay. So uh, Dan contacted me a couple of weeks ago and asked if I was available this Sunday, and uh, obviously I was. And uh, he said, it's not, not part of the sermon series, so preach on whatever you want. Uh, so I know. And uh, I, hadn't really, I hadn't really thought much about it uh, two weeks ago, but um, then I was struck over Memorial Day weekend by the outpouring of violence um, and thought, uh, it, just, it just struck me that might be, it might be a time to sort of reflect on what it means to be a Christian in this world. So big picture, because uh, a lot of times we, we are so focused on, on the minutia, whether it's directions, you know, driving directions or something else, and we, we, we don't think uh, very often about the bigger picture, about the continental view. Uh, so I'd like to, if it's okay with you, actually, even if it's not okay with you, that's what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And the text I've chosen is from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 17. So if anyone is in Christ, you and me, they are a new creation. Everything has passed away. See, everything has become new. Everything has passed away. With you, everything has passed away. Everything is new. All this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. We're the agents of communicating reconciliation to the world. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. So we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's a pretty awesome responsibility that Paul says God has entrusted to us. We are his ambassadors. We are the agents of reconciliation. We are the ones who are to extend what it means to be connected to God to the world. So, uh, yeah, could we, so, real big questions. How are we as Christians to live in our world? How, sh- how ought we? And what attachments should we bear and suffer? Think of all the attachments you have and I have to our world and to the way the world works. And not all of them are uh, actually all that Christian, frankly. Not all, not all, I'm just speaking for myself. So how are we to live as Christians in the world? What attachment should we bear and suffer? And how are we to understand ourselves? So uh, next slide. How do we make sense of a culture in which we now sort of regard the mass shooting in Buffalo, New York to be normal? We don't like it, but it's normalized. Haven't you felt that in the last two weeks? Like, wow, I'm not sure if any I'm in public now. That's an alarming feeling. I, I, have, I, have, I have thought to myself when I see a situation where there's some energy, I have actually heard, felt myself or, or realized I was thinking to myself, don't make eye contact. <laughs> like, where'd that come from? Well, it's, if it's not normal, it's certainly not unusual. Next slide. What about the shooting in Laguna Woods, California, at that tra- Taiwanese Presbyterian church that now... As horrific as that was, that's not even on our active radar screen anymore. That was less than 30 days ago. 
because of the, it was followed by the quickly evolving tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. Next slide. I heard this uh, the Monday of Memorial Day weekend, that by Monday morning of Memorial Day weekend, there had already been 11 mass shootings just over Memorial Day weekend. And it was still just Monday morning. Next slide. So our common understanding of what it means for us to be Americans is fraying at alarming rate. Seems like that to me. So, and violence appears to be normal and, and accepted. Next slide. How are we supposed to understand this? How, are we, how do we understand that we are to be as, in this world as Christians? Next slide. So, you know, we've lived, this kind of thing, lived through this kind of thing before. Wildly dislocating times. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, or maybe you can remember back to college or something, but I mean, the Reformation was wildly dislocating. For a thousand years, everybody in Europe or anywhere in, in Europe's ambit recognized that the church was the final arbiter of authority. What the church said goes. You, just if you, didn't, you may not have liked it, but no one questioned it. And then Martin Luther says, yeah, I don't care. Here I stand on my own. And that, there's a scholarly article, famous scholarly article 60 years ago, titled The Crisis of Authority in the Reformation. Because suddenly somebody got away with it. Said, no, I disagree, and I'm going to make my own stand. And a lot of people say that's where modernity begins. One person saying, this is how I see it. And you can see a kind of broken line to postmodernity in that. And this crisis of authority was such that, you know, it didn't take long before wackos were saying, this is how I, God's speaking to me. And you get this, within 20 years, you get this, with this incredibly dislocating, fraying experience sociologically in Europe. And people were, what is going on? 410. 410, um, Rome was sacked by other Christians, Aryan Christians, not Orthodox Christians. It had been from, two, from 201 when the Romans defeated the Carthaginians, 600 years to 410, a little over 600, where Rome had been the world authority. 600 years. I mean, that was us to be at 1420. That's a long time ago. And suddenly Rome was sacked and by other Christians. And people thought the... The world must be ending. It introduced a whole period of, of tremendous anxiety and dislocation. So the, we human beings have been through this before. Next slide. And Augustine's great work in response to this, maybe the most important book after the Bible in Western history, City of God, um, is his 20 years of thinking about what it means to be a Christian in the world. And he said, there's really three cities, and by cities he doesn't mean like Livermore and Bakersfield, he means populations. There are those who are loyal to Satan and those who are loyal to God. City of Satan, the population of Satan, the population of God. And then there's a third city that he called Babylon. That's where we live. That's where people loyal to Christ and those loyal to other things intermingle with one another and influence one another. And we, sometimes we that belong to the city of God get swayed by folks from the city of Satan. So our choice is the empire of human desire or the empire of God. And living in this world, we're often confused in ways we know and in ways that, that we, which we're not really self-aware. Next slide. So uh, Augustine actually had experience working for the Roman government, and he, uh, uh, as a court-appointed uh, judge, we would call it that, in North Africa, and he used, at times, coercion to coerce behavior. I'm going to force you. And he learned by that experience that, uh, as he put it, when hearts are to be moved, force avails not. You can compel behavior, but that won't change desire. I remember 
rather keenly an experience in third grade where I was ordered by the authorities <laughs> to do certain uh, activity that was supposed to reflect my um, repentance. I remember very clearly acquiescing to the actions but not changing my heart at all. <laughs> and so Augustine says, be careful what you love because we become subject to the things we love and subjects cannot judge. So watch out. What, we be, what are we becoming attached to in this world? Next slide. So I'd like today to talk about what I'm, three, three major sections, what I'm calling first the big arc. Secondly, save from, save for, and then moral imagination. Um, and this is, uh, uh, it is mostly about, uh, yeah, in fact, it's all going to be biblical theology, I think. <laughs> so let's go. The first is the, what I'm calling the big arc. Next slide. So um, what do I mean by that? Uh, wow, the Bible is this enormously dense uh, compilation of lots of different Books, and some of them seem to have just very different in character. Law codes, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And then you've got wisdom literature, like Ecclesiastes, where the, 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 the king says, wow, you know, I tried self-indulgence, and that didn't satisfy me. You know, I tried, uh, I tried building uh, monuments to myself. That didn't satisfy me. So, not there, you know, nothing satisfies under the sun. And the big picture there is, wow, you've got to look above, the hu above human experience <laughs> to be satisfied. So that book alone, it, it, it's part of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a mechanism. It's part of the truth, but that you need Job and you need and you need um, Proverbs uh, to fill it out. So what's the big arc in the, Bi the Bible's story? Next slide. So um, Act 1, Genesis. We are made, you and me, in the, in the image of God. That's what it means to be human. We are made in the image of God. We're made to be like God. We're made to be connected to God. And God delegates to our first parents authority. I'm going to trust you. Here's the earth. It's your job. I'm giving you that authority to manage it and care for it. But we, our first parents, foolishly listened to this other figure, Satan. And that caused something was broken in us. So actually, the, the humanity we live is subhuman. It's less than God intended. What God intended was what Adam and Eve had before the fall. So we are, we are broken right now. It's less than full humanity. That's why the New Testament, Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. His life was Adam as it should have been. And on our own, we can't get there. So Satan has fallen and we have fallen. Next slide. The middle, the middle section is uh, Act 2. Uh, and maybe Daniel 7 is the, is, the space, is the place to go. Daniel 7, you may remember... Um, it's like some uh, Brian De Palma movie or something. You know, it opens up, and it's night, and it's, uh, there's a violent storm, and it's the sea. That's, that's the three symbols of chaos in the, in the Hebrew mindset. So this is, like, this is bad, bad, bad. This is, this, this is the opening of Jaws. You know, dark, and the music, you know, and you just know something's going to happen. And so, uh, and what, what, what happens, uh, um, uh, uh, beasts come out of the sea and they're told to arise and eat much flesh. So we are the ones who've created those beasts. We are the ones, humans in, in toto, we are the ones who create our culture, our political systems, etc. We're responsible. And that's because God delegated that authority to us. But then the sh scene shifts to heaven and God in heaven says, okay, I've had enough. And he takes authority away from the beasts. And he grants it to one, all glory and honor and authority. That's what he gave to our first parents at creation. He takes it away and gives it to one like a son of man. That's why Jesus calls himself the son of man. A heavenly figure who brings God's kingdom to earth. So 
The delegated authority is given to the beast, That's because that's what God gave it to our first parents. But one like a son of man comes uh, to save us. And Jesus, when he calls himself son of man, of course, says the son of man didn't come to be served. Because Daniel 7, all peoples will serve the son of man. But Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. So he combines Daniel, Jesus combines Daniel 7 with, uh, with Psalm 2. The, the servant, you know, who gives. And Isaiah 53, the servant who gives his life. So that's the second act. Next slide. So Jesus can then say, yep, by the finger of God, I cast out demons then. I've budgeted time for this. <laughs> then the, the, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Right? So he is the one who's bringing the kingdom. So the kingdom then is not a kingdom. It's not a country. It's not a, it's not a, 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 a human uh, subtlety. It, it's something deeper. Next slide. And then we have Revelation 3, which is sort of the end of the story. So the point is, Jesus comes, and through his death and resurrection, he inaugurates the new kingdom. And those of us who are aligned with him are his agents. But there's still a lot of junk out there. So one image is, is D-Day. You know, when the, when the Allies were able to establish a beachhead and began moving eastward from the French coast, everybody knew that, that the war was over. But it took a lot, of, a lot of death and destruction to get there. Right? So... Revelation 12, there's war in heaven between Satan and the Son of Man. Well, where do, you know, but, but Satan is then cast out of heaven. Where, where does that happen? It happens at the crucifixion resurrection. Next slide. Um, the beast. Yeah, I mean, you can't, I'm sorry, that's a little bit sweet. It's too small, but Revelation um, 18, the merchants, so the, the merchants are on their way to, sailing their ships and they're on their way to Rome or Babylon and they see it in flames and they, the merchants lament the fall of Babylon for she no longer purchased their cargoes, fine linen, costly wood, marble, fine wine and olive oil and this is the, this is the chilling line and the bodies and souls of human beings. That's what we collectively are doing, <laughs> the human race, where the bodies and souls of human beings are, are trafficked. Next slide. So th that, that's the victory, though. I mean, that, that God's ultimate victory, his kingdom advancing, of which we are agents. That, that's what's going to happen. We're going to overcome that. Does that make sense? So that's the big arc. Secondly, what does it mean to be, the New Testament talks about being saved from and saved for. Next slide. So we are slaves. When we're born, the New Testament says, we human beings, or all of us, we're slaves to three primary um, forces of coercion. Satan and the powers, right? We know that. Some of us are old enough to remember uh, the devil made me do it, right? Was that Flip Wilson? Is that right? No. That's really, that's... That's when, you know, we, we listen to the radio by a string between two cans and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, we're slaves. To, in this world, we're slaves to Satan and the powers. Because the powers, the evil forces, are, are, are behind a lot of what goes on in this world. Remember, in, there's a city of Satan and a city of God. But this is the world of confusion. Where, where governments and institutions... They, they, can, they can in one moment do something that is laudable and pure and wonderful, and the next minute something that's despicable. Why? Because they are loyal to something else. So Satan and the powers, we're slaves to them. We're also slaves to our sin nature. We all have that, but we all know that. We have this spasmodic desire for our own way, our selfishness, or whatever. Why do we do what we do? Paul even says this, well, I don't understand myself. I watch myself doing something, and I'm saying to myself, why, why, why are you doing that? 
I don't do what I, what I want to do, and what I don't want to do, I end up doing. That's, we're, that, we're that confused, broken person. We can be saved from it. And we're also slaves to culture. Think about the power culture has over us. I mean, we live in a culture that, act, that says aggressively, you deserve whatever you want, whenever you want it. And we have reached the place now, I think, in, in American culture, where we're really close to us, to many of us, viewing every other human being as the enemy of our own desire. Just drive a little bit. And pay attention. Next slide. So slaves, the culture, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice the verb, tense. Don't be conformed any longer. It's happening right now. And ours is the most aggressive culture in human history in shaping how we are to understand ourselves and our desires. So don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve, to ferret out and approve what is God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're not going to be able to, we're not, we're going to, if we find that at all, if we're not intentional, it will be by accident. Got to be intentional for this to happen. Next slide. So we are slaves to culture. Tocqueville said, Alexis Tocqueville, the great French sociologist, came to the United States in the uh, early 1700s to study America. Um, the French government was interested in moving towards democracy and said that the best laboratory is America, and he came to the United States and he, and he uh, a brilliant sociologist, the best book about America ever written, the best book about democracy ever written is his Democracy in America. And uh, maybe I, I think, let's say the next, see what's on the next slide. Yeah, he said, America is this amazingly f a fertile, febrile sociological mix, because people from all over the world are there. Unlike France, where we're all French, and we have, we have this inherited, this long you know, sort of class system. But in America, people from all over the world and all different economic levels are interacting with each other all the time. And that's how creativity happens, when people with different backgrounds get together. So he says, but America is this, is this train crash of two great constellations of ideas. From the Enlightenment, human beings are good and getting better. When we make mistakes, we just need more education. We still hear that, right? People are good. They're not evil. They just, they're just uneducated. Human desire should not be curbed, the Enlightenment said, but should be set free. Because if our desires are set free, what's going to happen is we're going to go out and buy stuff. And if we go out and buy stuff, then companies will get stronger, and the economy will get better, and a rising tide raises all boats. And that, that's, that, that's the genesis of that idea. Tocqueville recognized it. And no limits. The un, so the, a denial of limits is a part of the American experience. We can go on doing this forever. Think about all the ways that's true in, in American culture, whether it's about the environment or, or anything. But he said, there's a, other, the other side of American culture is the Judeo-Christian tradition that says, you know what? We have a purpose beyond ourselves. And we ought to practice self-restraint. It ain't good for us to get whatever we want whenever we want it. And we ought to have love and compassion for the other. So that's why those are the two major forces in American culture. And we can see how they're at work even in our own lives and our own experience. Next slide. Yeah, Nietzsche. Not usual for a sermon to talk about Nietzsche. Um, <laughs> You know, but Nietzsche's dad was a Lutheran pastor. He, uh, he, he, he had great respect for his father, and he saw, as a boy, I think under five, his father developed some sort of horrible brain disease. And he watched over the course of four or five years, his father just suffered terribly. And he became very angry with God. And so anti-Christian. You know, anti but he also recognized that in Europe, Christianity was even, you know, uh, 200 years or 100 years ago, it, its influence was fading. And he was really worried that that, that, that Christianity was the ethical standard. It was the, it set the, the, uh, uh, the agenda for moral behavior in Europe. And he was afraid that if, if Christianity dissipated, there'd be no, there'd be no, there'd be nothing, no moral system left. And so he posited the, what he called the, the Superman. What we should do is, is support people who, who desire something beyond themselves. 
even if it ruins a lot of other people, but they're doing something beyond themselves. And the, op the, other, the other alternative, the only other alternative is a religion of comfortableness, where all we will, will, will just be reduced to people who want nothing more than just to satisfy themselves. Wow. Next slide. Yeah, next slide. And then this guy, Tim Jackson, really interesting guy, University of Surrey. Uh, I don't think he's a Christian, but he asked these questions. Why is it that we only measure prosperity by the stock market and GDP? And why is it that with so much stuff, we're so unhappy? Those are really interesting questions from somebody who's an economist. Next slide. Yeah, next slide. So we are slaves to Satan and the powers, our sin nature and culture. That's a lot of that, those last couple slides. Next slide. But Paul says we can be set free for life in the spirit, true community, and ambassadorship. So life in the spirit, you know, walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. If you're a believer, the spirit of the living God dwells in you. You know, start paying attention. You know, C.S. Lewis said, boy, when you first start to pray, you'll be lucky if you can pay attention for five seconds. Has that been your experience? Like you start to pray, like pretty soon you're worried about the groceries or what's going on with Clay Thompson or, you know, something. And so it, it takes practice because you have a long history of not being thoughtful. And so it's going to take practice and discipline to become to become aware of the spirit of God who dwells within you. Learn to listen. Do what it takes to expand that place. Secondly, true community, not fake community, but true community. True community in Christ because the, the, um, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Think of, is there another, is there another place in human in the human experience where people will say that everywhere else we go, it's, it's, you know, who's in and who's out, but there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor female, every man, then to be ambassadors to this world. Next slide. So ambassadors live in a country, not their own. So here's the challenge. I think as we think about just the chaos in our own culture, we live in a country that's not our own. Our primary loyalty is to the kingdom of God. And so we're ambassadors, and ambassadors represent the values of that country, the kingdom of God, in the one in which they live. It's important for us to be clear about that. We represent God's kingdom in this world, in the context of the United States, of California, of Northern California. That was important to me to say that, I guess, apparently. <laughs> but, but ambassadors ought to have affection for the country in which they live. Next slide. So there's also moral imagination. Next slide. I teach in parables that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. So can you imagine a teacher who, who is asked, you know, what's your goal in teaching? And they say, my goal is that my students are more confused when I'm done. <laughs> Try that when you go for apply for a job. Yeah, thank you very much. You know, <laughs> um, but you know, um, this is about learning how to think and feel, not about what the right answer is, but the process of getting to it. Next slide. So the Good Samaritan, right? He told, I mean, Jesus actually answered very few questions. He told a lot of stories. So the, the wild thing about the Good Samaritan story is the priest and the Levite follow the law. They do what the law says. Because if the person is dead and, they, and, and their shadow falls across them, they're unclean for a, for a day. If they touch them, they're unclean for a week. And so the law says, don't take a chance. And so what Jesus is demonstrating in his teaching is, I think, what we could call moral imagination. Because at the simplest, most superficial level, it's the level of actions. Think about speed limits. You know? Should you, is it okay to go faster than the speed limit? No, that's right. That's the answer. No, it's not. 
Now, I don't know if you've been up to Tahoe lately, but there's a place on the way back down. You're going down the hill, and you go around this big, sweeping left-hand turn, and they've really done a lot of work on the, on the left-hand side of the hill. And there's a pretty new sign, great big yellow sign, that will flash at you if you're going over the speed limit. I know, because it flashes at me all the time. <laughs> coming down there. So that, I mean, so, so laws say, laws are there, I mean, actions then follow law. But laws, of course, aren't the end themselves. They're there to preserve some good, right? I mean, what, what would it be like if during the, the, the fire in paradise a couple of years ago, you were on the road and the speed limit said 10 miles an hour, and even though there was fire raging all around, you were doggedly just going 10 miles an hour, because darn it, that's what the law says. Right, so Jesus is pointing out, even in all of his interactions with the Pharisees, laws reflect some deeper principle. And of course, then those, there's a ground underneath them. And for Jesus, the ground is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He, he just flat out says that. So ambassadors have to learn how to think with moral imagination. <laughs> That's what we're called to do. Next slide. Next slide. Not do the right thing, but learn how to think in ways that are congruent with, with the kingdom of God. So ideas matter. The ideas we allow to, to, to live in our hearts and our minds matter. Next slide. So, under, conclusions. Under, see, I'm, I'm near the end. Isn't that great? When you see the word conclusion, that's a good sign, right? So understand identity. Who are we? We're, you know, we are ambassadors. We are not primarily citizens of this world, of this country, of this, but we're ambassadors of another kingdom, and we live here. Recognize the law of love. What can law do? Right? Stephen Carter, the great professor of law at Yale said, law does only two things. It makes you do what you don't want to do and keeps you from doing what you want to do. <laughs> but it has no capacity to change your desire. So um, think about, you know, what can law do and what can love do? And remember, our hope is not in this world. We have hopes for this world, but our hope lies outside. You know, when the, the Athenians, according to Thucydides, during the Peloponnesian War, they were on the island of Milos, this little tiny island that didn't have any military at all. And the, Melians, uh, the Athenians were trying to force them into, into the army. And the Melians said, you know, we're, we're going to have hope. We're going to resist. We have hope. And the Athenians said, hope, danger's comforter. <laughs> What's our hope in? If our hope is in some... You know, Easter Bunny saving us, it's probably vacuous. But we need to remember our citizenship is in heaven. Our hope is in the God of heaven who loves this world and has sent us to be his agents here. We are not primarily citizens of here. Our loyalty lies somewhere else. But we ought to have affection for this world. So... This world is confused, right? Our government, other governments, one moment they do something that looks just darn Christian and godly, and the next minute something totally the opposite. What else should we expect? But we represent another kingdom in a world that is confused and needs rescue. Let's be agents of rescue. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm done and we're gonna have what we call communion. You've noticed that. Um, so yeah, come forward, um, the uh, people are gonna serve. You know, communion is, uh, or the Eucharist, is a sacrament. That comes, uh, that comes from the Latin word sacramentum. Uh, an oath that a Roman soldier would swear before battle was a sacrament. So that's, I promise not to run. So that's, that part, that, that emphasizes what we're doing. 
But the older Greek term is mysterion, mystery, which is what God does. So in this sacrament, we are saying, I recognize that I am saved by what Christ has done, not by anything of my own doing, but I also put myself in the service of the God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This may be the last time I can do that. <laughs> the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, um, when he had given thanks, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Uh, take and eat. And then after supper, he, he took uh, the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Paul says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this communion is, you know, we recognize what Christ has done. We reaffirm our openness to be God's agents in this world. This is an ancient thing <laughs> that we're about to do. Going back to Jesus himself. It recognizes that our lives by themselves lead to death. But there is life true life because of what our Lord and Savior has done. And so, the words of Jesus, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. And then Jesus said, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death and resurrection until I come again. And so we hope for the Lord's return. Confident in this life, in the spirit that speaks and guides us, let us be agents of his kingdom in this world. A world that's lost and needs rest. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Let's sing that again, because it's true, isn't it? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so.
Right, you can be seated for just a second as we wrap up. I just want to remind you that there are people here who would love to pray with you if you have a need or are in need of a blessing. I'm going to ask Sonny and Jitty to come forward if you would. We are losing another dear couple. Yeah, so um, they're headed to Hawaii to live. I didn't realize anybody actually, actually lived in Hawaii. I thought you went to Hawaii and then you had to go home after you go to Hawaii, but you can actually live in Hawaii. That's, that's allowed. Um, and I, <laughs> why not, Judy says. I had the pleasure of getting to know them um, a little better when you guys went on one of the mission trips to Southeast Asia. Sunny is the, um, absol- she's aptly named. She has the, the most delightful character. She's always optimistic. Everything's always going to work out. Go on a mission trip with her because whenever you get into trouble, she's going to say, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. <laughs> and so I, I love that about you, Sunny. And, and Jitty was, uh, jumped in as a role as, as translator when we were in Thailand. Fa couldn't be there at the grow home, and her sister Ning was, and Ning was not confident in her English, even though she had taken a number of classes and was perfectly fine. When she found out that Jitty spoke Thai, oh, she didn't say another word of English after that. <laughs> he, he was pressed in for like five days as being translator, so we will dearly miss you. Tell us what you're off to do. Um, we are moving to Honolulu. Um, Sunny grew up kind of in Hawaii uh, for a portion of her life. So um, we are moving to a place where her mom has dreamt of leaving, and she promised herself that she would do that for her because her mom didn't quite get there. Anything to add to that, Sonny? Oh, oh we we'll definitely miss you guys, yeah. And just pray that we were able to find a church like Hillside and small group like Peter and Susan small group. That's very important to our journey. Well, thank you very much. Let me, let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, we just uh, pray that you would be with uh, Sonny and Jitty as they move to Hawaii, Lord, and that um, you would bless them all the days of their lives, that they might find a fellowship that uh, they resonate with and that they come to love and make new friends. We will miss them dearly, and um, we're so thankful that they've been part of our fellowship for so many years, and uh, we ask that you would bless them mightily um, as they go, Lord, and as they go with our our blessings and our encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And now if you'll stand for the benediction, just echoing some of, yeah, oh yeah. So go in the knowledge that we are in this world, but not of this world. We are ambassadors of another kingdom, and that God reconciled himself to us through Jesus Christ, and he has given us that ministry of reconciliation. Let's go out and do that joyfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.